0: Hey, Christ community, really glad all of you are here. Uh, Greetings to our Traditions venue, those who are worshiping in that venue, as well as those who are joining us online on our app or through whatever way. We are glad all of you are part of of this. So we are in the midst of a, a teaching series focused on stillness, how to quiet the noise and chaos within so that we... We really reconnect with our soul, perhaps more than any period in history. We live in a world that is that is disconnecting us from our soul. So the pace of life and the accessibility of technology have created like this this perfect storm where we constantly bounce between being overly busy and and, and and stressed, right? And then escaping into an endless array of specifically engineered things to distract us. YouTube videos, Netflix binges, thousands of apps on our phone, the world of Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, all this stuff. We, we, we live in a constant state of stress and distraction and our souls are paying the price, not only in terms of emotional health and mental health, but also in just in terms of our connection to God. And so in this series, we're, we're talking about how we can quiet the noise within and cultivate an inner life with God. And what we're learning is the critical importance of solitude. The critical importance of solitude, of carving out time to be alone with ourselves and with God. Last week, we looked at the example of Jesus, who in the midst of stressful demands of ministry and all sorts of people always wanting something from him, he often withdrew to solitary places to pray. Jesus created space for solitude. He created space in his schedule for solitude because he he knew his soul needed it. And ours does as well. God invites us into this experience of quiet strength, of stillness of soul. But we have to choose to make it a part of our lives. It will not just happen automatically. No one else is going to do this for you. We we have to choose the lifestyle of Jesus. We have to choose to make time for this. And so once we carve out time to be alone with God, what exactly should that time look like? How, How do we cultivate and experience this quietness of soul? And what we're learning in this series is is that a key part of experiencing this stillness is practice, practice. Our inner world got into this place, into this noisy condition, because of how we've been living our lives for a very long time. So if we want to experience a different reality within, we need to practice a new way of living. And so each week... In this series, along with the message, we are providing some specific spiritual exercises to practice in order to grow in cultivating soul stillness, practices that we can do in solitude. When we carve out time, we can do these practices to help us experience a quietness within no matter how chaotic our external circumstances and world happen to be. Okay, so, so far in this series, we provided two exercises to practice. The first was learning how to be present in the moment to ourselves, just to be present to our bodies, present to our environment. That was week one. Then last week we introduced the second practice, which follows the first, and that is to be present to the Lord. How to be present to the Lord. Just being with him, enjoying his presence. And we, we, we had a specific practice to do that last week. We're providing these practices in a few different ways. You can get a handout. There, there are three different handouts now at the information area. You can also find these online. Um, and, um, and the other is through a video experience that we are, we've created for these three called, the, called present Practice which can be accessed through our social media channels YouTube, Instagram, Facebook. Okay, so those two practices lead us into the third practice, um, which we're going to be talking about today, and that is the practice of being present to our heart. Okay, so we're just present to our bodies, we're present to the Lord, and today we're talking about being present. To our heart. So if you have your Bible or Bible app, feel free to turn to 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings in the Old Testament, chapter 19. One of the characters in this book, one of the main characters in this book, is a powerful prophet named Elijah um, Super Stud. When it comes to pro- prophets, I mean, Elijah's up there Um, and he lived during a time period when the nation of Israel was divided into the north and the southern kingdom and the king over the north was a a loser named Ahab um, who had a very very evil wife named Jezebel Um, and she had made it her goal to kill God's prophets and so Elijah and Ahab were not exactly on speaking terms so all of this came to a head um, in in a confrontation on Mount Carmel where Elijah challenged Ahab really to a spiritual duel. So Ahab gathered 400 of the prophets of Baal. He worshipped Baal. So he gathered 400 of the prophets of Baal and they tried for hours to summon their God to burn up this sacrifice on the altar and nothing happened. And then Elijah stood up by himself, poured water on the, on the altar so it's doused with water and then he prayed to God who immediately responded with fire burning up the sacrifice. It was a total slam dunk victory in front of all the people showing God's power and exposing Baal's impotence. So Ahab went home and he told his wife, and she was not happy about what happened. So she sends a message to Elijah, and this is what she said, may the gods deal with me severely if by this time tomorrow you are not dead. This is a death threat, very clear death threat from really the most powerful person in Israel. Now we would think that after this incredible victory on Mount Carmel, Elijah wouldn't even be fazed by this. I mean, he had just seen this amazing miracle. He wouldn't even be flat. Jezebel, who cares? He wouldn't even be fazed by this, but it does impact him. Check out verse three. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. Okay, Elijah leaves his servant in one location, and then he goes a day's journey into the wilderness. What is he doing? He's making time for solitude. We talked about the wilderness last week. In the example of Jesus, the life of Jesus, Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness. The Eremos is the Greek word. It, it means to a solitary, lonely place. It's a place to be alone. And that's exactly what Elijah is doing here. He knows his heart is not in a good place. He's running for his life. He knows his heart is not in a good place. He know, knows he needs time with God. So he makes that happen. Verse four, he came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord," he said. "Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors." See, notice what's happening here. Elijah is alone with God and he immediately experiences or expresses, I should say, he immediately expresses how he feels. He is not sugarcoating this. He's not using spiritual words to impress God. He's not doing any of that. He's just being real. He is opening up his heart. I'm done, God, I am done. I've had enough, just end it all right now. Put me out of my misery. Clearly, Jezebel's threat had landed like a grenade in his heart. And that's exactly what happens to us As well, when when we're living in sort of this state of continuous busyness and stress and distraction, when that's our normal way of living, right? It doesn't take much to plunge us into some spiritually dark places. Everything seems to be fine, you know. We're we're plowing ahead, keeping busy, distracting ourselves when we're alone, and then we get a hurtful text from a family member or a D on a test or a negative comment from our boss, or some questionable blood test. And immediately, we are thrown into this dark place emotionally, gripped with fear, self-hatred, rejection, feeling overwhelmed. See, Elijah was not in a good place emotionally, but his response here was very strategic, very strategic. Rather than ignoring his feelings or stuffing his feelings, Elijah owned his feelings. He owned his feelings. See, what Elijah is showing us is how solitude becomes this crucial, formative opportunity for us to be present to our hearts, to be present to what we're feeling, to not run, not run from it, to not stuff it, to not ignore it. No, in, in, instead, in solitude, we feel it. We name it. We, we, we own it. We experience it. We actually experience it in solitude. This is such an important part of solitude and our connection with God. And yet, it is, it is one of the biggest barriers to solitude. It's one of the biggest barriers for us to experiencing solitude. See, let me explain what I mean. The reality is when we make time to be with God, we carve out time, we get in this place of solitude without any distractions, we put our phone away and all that stuff, or no no distractions, right, or however you get to that place, we we expect to experience this overwhelming peace, right, angels singing and all that stuff, uh, which would be awesome, but, but often that's not what happens, Instead, what often happens is all sorts of emotions and feelings start rising to the surface. Sadness, grief, despair, anxiety, panic, feelings of depression, loneliness, all of these emotions that are in our hearts, they're in our hearts, but we've just kept them submerged with busyness or Netflix binging and video games or social media or whatever, why? Why have we? Kept, they're, they're in our heart, but we've just kept them submerged. Why do we keep them submerged? Because they're too painful to look at and feel. Honestly, the thought of removing all distractions and people and just being alone with ourselves, our thoughts. Our emotions, no one else around us, the thought of that for some of us feels terrifying. It feels terrifying. Will God even be there? Or will I just be alone? So instead of facing that stuff, being alone and knowing this stuff is going to come to the surface, instead of facing that stuff, all those unsettling, painful emotions, what do we do? We just stay busy. We just stay distracted all the time, right? So we don't have to feel. We don't have to go to those places if we just stay busy. A few years ago on late night with Conan, um, there was a comedian, well-known comedian. He was a guest. He started talking about why he hasn't, why he doesn't let his kids have a cell phone. Um, And in the course of that conversation, he began to speak to this issue um, of our uncomfortableness with being present to our hearts. So I want to read a portion of what he said. He said, He said, you need to build an ability to just be yourself and not be doing something. That's what the phones are taking away, is the ability to just sit there. That's being a person. Because underneath everything in your life, there is that thing, that empty, forever empty, that knowledge that it's all for nothing and that you're alone. It's down there. And sometimes, he said, sometimes when things clear away, You're not watching anything, you're just in your car, and you start going, oh no, here it comes that I'm alone. It starts to visit on you, just this sadness. Life is tremendously sad just by being in it. And then he said, that's why we text and drive. I look around, pretty much 100% of the people driving are texting, and they're killing, everybody's murdering each other with their cars, but people are willing to risk taking a life and ruining their own, because they don't want to be alone for a second because it's so hard. So then he told this story about this experience he had when one day he was driving and he heard a Bruce Springsteen song and it triggered some emotion in him. And here's how he described what happened. He said, and I go, oh, oh, I'm getting sad. I got to get the phone and write hi to like 50 people. And then I said, you know what? Don't. Just be sad. Just let the sadness hit you like a truck. And I let it come. And I just started to feel, oh my God. And I pulled over and I just cried. I cried so much and it was beautiful. Sadness is poetic. You're lucky to live sad moments. And then I had happy feelings because when you let yourself feel sad, your body has antibodies and has happiness that comes rushing in to meet the sadness. It was such a trip. And then... He concluded with this his, his comments with this, he said, the thing is, because we don't want to feel that first bit of sad, we push it away with a little phone or porn or food. You never feel completely sad or completely happy, you just feel kind of satisfied with your product and then you die. So that's why I don't want to get a phone for my kids. Um so that 's what he said um so so, what was so odd in watching this um, was that while he was saying all this really profound stuff, he 's a comedian, and so people are kind of laughing um uncomfortably um, it, throughout the whole bit. it was kind of like, oh, that's really funny and really true, you know, ouch but but seriously, he he put his finger on exactly why we often don't want solitude, why we struggle to make time to be alone, why we feel the need to always be looking at our phone or always distracting ourselves or with something. It's because we don't want to feel sad. We don't want to to, to face our fear. We we, we don't want to experience self-hatred or loneliness. We don't want to face those things. We don't want to face our mortality. And I love how he admitted, you know, when that first feeling of sadness hit, what was his instinctive response? I'm going to text 50 people and say hi. You know, that was his, just response. Rather than feel sad, let me just text some people. <clears throat> I mean, can any of us relate? You know, can we relate? I can. I mean, just just stay distracted. Keep, keep that level of sadness or anxiety away, you know. Just stay busy. Just become a workaholic. You know, just stay busy, all that stuff. Just so I don't have to feel these things. But then it was fascinating. He discovered that in feeling and naming the sadness, he ultimately experienced a deeper joy. My, my daughter is getting her master's in um, counseling, and, and um, she sent me this article, this scholarly article. Uh, she took this class on brain science as it relates to emotions. And so she sent me this scholarly article. Um, that how so often, especially as Christians, we are taught to resist emotion. Let me explain what I mean. We're taught that if you feel fear or you feel anger or whatever, that's bad. Just suppress it. Rather than, than you know, re- replace that thought. That's the idea. Just replace. Oh, I feel that. i gotta, I got to fight against it. So i got to replace that thought. i got to think about something else. So suppress your fear and panic or whatever and, and replace that with something else. So it's this struggle a lot of times, and we're almost taught this. Recent studies of the brain indicate that in our efforts to resist or suppress unpleasant or painful experiences, we're actually reinforcing the very thoughts and feelings that we're trying to suppress. Research has shown that when an anxious thought or feeling is triggered, so we initially feel that anxiety... The chemical released by the brain begins a physiological journey through the body that lasts a mere 90 seconds. That's how long it lasts if we just let it happen. If we just let that thought or emotion run its course, it often dissipates within a minute or two. But when we try to fight it or actively resist it, it keeps it alive in our brain for longer. It actually keeps it alive in our brain. So the more we try hard to suppress, the more our brain actually creates neuropathways that reinforce that feeling. What does this have to do with solitude? Everything, because solitude becomes this safe place to feel. This safe place to experience emotion in the presence of God. We are able to name what we're feeling and just be in that place rather than labeling it as a bad thing and trying hard to suppress it. No, we just name it and feel it. We just name it and feel it, which actually opens a door for our souls and our brains to experience peace and stillness. This this is what God is after here. He's after our hearts. He's after our hearts. In fact, a few verses later in this passage, after Elijah rested and then he found this cave to be alone with God, God actually asks Elijah a question. God says, what are you doing here, Elijah? I love that. There's no lecture. There's no condemnation. There's no pep talk. There's no shame or whatever. It's, It's like God puts his counselor hat on and says, okay, so tell me what's going on in that heart of yours. God wants to know. So Elijah says, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, turned, uh, t- torn um, your altars, and, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. See, he's, again, he's just laying out his heart before God. I've done all this stuff for you, and this is what I get in return. Death threats, you know, I mean, what's up here? I'm the only one left following you. You know, he's he's just, I'm running for my life here. All these things are coming out. This is just raw, real emotion. And God welcomes it. God welcomes this. This is what he is after. God cares about our heart. He wants us to welcome him into that place. But the only way this happens is when we're willing to feel sad or anxious or lonely in God's presence rather than, oh, no, I don't want to feel this. It's like, okay, Lord, here I am. This is what I'm feeling. Again, don't label it good or bad. Just feel it. Now I think sometimes... We are so eager in our devotions. You know, let's say we have a devotional time with God and even this solitude. Oh, yeah, I do that all the time. I get alone with God. Yeah, I, I hear that. But sometimes in our, we are so eager in our devotions to hear God speak to us through his word or whatever that we don't give time for our souls to speak to God. For our souls to speak to God. Like the psalmist in Psalm 42, who acknowledged his tears and his feelings of loneliness, depression, rejection, all those things, Psalm 42, is laying it out. And then he writes this, why my soul are you so downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Notice what he's doing. He's giving voice to his soul. He's not just praying through a list. He's actually giving voice to his soul. He is practicing being present to his heart to his own emotions, and that's really, really important, because in doing so, it actually opens a door for God to speak into those places, and for us to experience his presence in those places, for God to pour out his love into our fears, for him to pour out his acceptance into our places of shame. See, it's only when we give voice to our soul, when we acknowledge the emotions that our heart is experiencing, it's only then that we can actually experience God's presence in those places. In those places. If we're running from our emotions, if we're constantly distracting ourselves so that we don't have to feel these emotions, if we're too busy to sit with our emotions... We're actually keeping the Lord out of our emotions. We're keeping him out of these places, and thus we're missing the transformation that he wants to bring into our lives. Ironically, sometimes sometimes our own religious practices actually create this barrier. Let, let me explain, because I know that's kind of a weird thought, but I know in my own life for years in my own devotional life, I was so faithful in reading the Bible, praying nearly every day. I mean, I was so faithful in doing that. But as I look back now, I realize I was in all of those hours spent in Bible reading and prayer, I was never really present to my heart in those times. I was so busy doing, reading, you know, that day's reading or whatever, journaling or whatever, and none of that stuff's bad. I was, you know, all that stuff, praying through a list, all that. But I was so busy doing that I never stopped to just do a, do a heart check. How am I feeling about what's going on in my life? I, I never stopped to really be present in my heart, my sadness or my fear or my insecurity, my joy. And I now realize, this is the weirdest thing to say, but I realized that I was... My devo- The way I was doing emotion, uh, devotions was without emotion, right? There's, there's something to a quote there somehow if I could figure it out. But there, there really is something there. The way I was doing my devotions kind of was separate from my emotions. And I was realizing I was missing this vital life-giving experience with God meeting you right where my heart was at. Again, please hear me. I'm not, man, Bible reading, prayer, I'm all over that. I'm, do, I do it as well. I'm not down on any of that. Those are really important things. But they, they, can, actually, they can almost unintentionally become a religious way for us to keep God at arm's length. They can become a religious way to actually keep God at arm's length, where our times alone with God are all about doing and reading and studying and gathering information, but they're never about being, being present to ourselves, being present to our hearts, feeling depressed, feeling anxious, feeling loneliness, feeling discouragement in the Lord's presence rather than stuffing those things, feeling those in the Lord's presence. And again, what a, what, what a safe and beautiful place to feel all the emotions that fill our hearts is in the Lord's presence. Okay, so here's what this might look like as we put all three of these practices together in times of solitude. Okay, so we carve out time to be alone with God. And some of you, I hope, are practicing this, you're doing these things. And so we make time, we figure out a way in our schedule. We talked about that last week. Gotta make time. And, and once we're there, no distractions, we're alone. We begin by being present to our physical body. This was the first week's exercise. After a few minutes of doing that, we walked you through what that would be like. Again, you're just trying to be present in the moment, learning how to do that. So then the second thing, we take a few moment, minutes, and we're just present to the Lord, um, which was our practice last week, where we used our imagination um, to envision Jesus standing before us and sitting beside us, and we just enjoyed being in his presence. It was really, really cool. Well, that, both of those then lead naturally to this third practice of being present to our heart. Often this is, this is as simple as asking ourselves, what am I feeling right now? Where's my heart at? Just asking ourselves that question. And it may be, maybe we're not even, sometimes we live in a way we're not even tuned into this. And so it may just take a while to kind of tune in. That's okay, we're learning, right? But where's my heart at? So when I did this, a few weeks ago, in a, in a time with the Lord, I was able just to, to acknowledge that my heart was actually experiencing multiple things in that moment. And that's okay. It's not like you only have one emotion. Our hearts are very, they're, they're, they're complex, right? They're multifaceted. So in that moment, as I kind of quieted, where's my heart at? What am I experiencing? I was experiencing joy at a fun project that Raylene and I had been working on the night before. We were working together on this kitchen project, <clears throat> and I was experiencing sadness at the recent deaths of two friends, and I was experiencing some fear about just some work-related issues or whatever. All of those things were going on in my heart at the same time. (laughs) And so as I was present to each of these, I was able to feel each one and name them in the Lord's presence. And then in, in the practice that we're gonna do in just a moment, the ones that we don't wanna carry, I was able to release to the Lord and experience him giving me something in exchange. And so what I'm discovering and I believe you're going to discover as well is that these experiences of solitude where we can be present to ourselves and present to our hearts and present to God, these moments are transformative. Over time they're transformative. Because they help us reconnect with our soul. They help us reconnect and stay connected to our soul. So we just need this regularly in our lives. Okay, and to experience God in those places. So we're actually going to practice this together. We've been doing this each week. We're going to practice this together. We're going to do an exercise that can help us be present to our hearts. Now, no matter if you're watching online or you're in the service, we invite you to do this, to try this. I led our staff through this exercise a couple weeks ago. It was powerful. God just did some really amazing things. If you're not comfortable doing this, no worries. Um, you can just sit and be still. No one's going to coerce you to do anything here. It's all voluntary. And again, we're on a journey, so we're just, we're just trying to learn how to practice stillness. So that's what these, these things are about. So if you're willing, great. Okay, here we go. Close your eyes. And let's just start with the breath prayer that we learned a couple weeks ago It's just a way to quiet our minds and our hearts and to be present to our bodies in this moment. So on the inhale... Just think of or whisper, Spirit of God, on the exhale, breathe on me. Spirit of God, breathe on me. Now imagine yourself in a very peaceful place. Could be a real place, could be imagined place, but it's a place where you are at peace and you just, it, just, it just brings peace to your heart just being there. So just imagine yourself there. So now I want you to in, imagine Jesus entering into that place and standing in front of you. Now take a moment. Just he's, he's there standing in front of you. But I want you to take a moment now and just be present to your heart. What, what are you feeling right now? It could be joy or sadness. It could be anger, fear, insecurity, grief, whatever. Just name what you're feeling. It's not right or wrong. It's not bad or good. Just, it just, it's what's going on in your heart. So just kind of name it. So if what you're feeling is joy or happiness or something that's really positive, just continue to feel that in the Lord's presence. You don't want to get rid of that emotion or let go of that emotion or whatever. You don't need to, you you can just kind of feel it is all I'm saying there. But if let's say what you're feeling feels like a burden that you're carrying right now, it feels heavy, it feels like a weight, what I want you to do, I want you to look in your imagination, look and see what does this weight look like? What does this burden that you're carrying look like? Is it dark? Is it shaped? Okay, now I want you to offer to Jesus, whatever you're carrying, whatever weight you're carrying, and just offer that to him and let him take that weight. Just give it to him. Let him take it. And pay attention as you do that. Pay attention to what he does with it. What does Jesus do with that? So, once Jesus has completely taken that, I want you to ask him, just in the quiet of your heart, just Jesus, just ask him, Jesus, what do you want to give me in exchange for this? Receive whatever He has for you, whatever He wants to give you. Just receive that. Enjoy it. Now you can just stay in this place, but if at any point you kind of got stuck somewhere, I kind of actually was getting stuck just in the picture God was giving me just because it was a process of giving this to him. And so maybe you're in that same place. It's totally okay just to go back to that. On When you have time with the Lord, just go back to that place where you're offering him this and and, and where you kind of got stuck in this and just ask Jesus, to give you insight. Maybe there's some insight into what you're carrying that he wants to the shape of it or whatever. Just ask him questions. And again, it's just a, it's a fluid, flexible process, but the goal is to release the things we carry to the Lord. So Jesus, now again, we're just in this place still. Jesus, is there anything else you want to say to us or you want to do with us in this place? So Jesus, thank you for caring about our hearts. Thank you for letting us cast our cares upon you and thank you for exchanging this burden that we are carrying for something way better. Something that brings life and joy to our hearts. So we love you. And I pray you would continue to help us grow in our Practice of being present to our hearts. Acknowledging what we're feeling in your presence and experiencing you in that place. So we, we love you. In Jesus' name, your name, amen. So that's a simple way to be present to our hearts. It's not the only way. I just used that. It's, it, it's an exercise that's been helpful for me. You don't have to do it every day. Whatever is just an exercise that can be helpful. I found it helpful. If, if you didn't find you connected with it, no worries. The key is when we get alone with God, we're present to our bodies. We're present to the Lord. We're present to our hearts. The key is just inviting Jesus in. We're naming what we're experiencing, and we're inviting him, and we're experiencing that in his presence and inviting him to speak into that. So it's a, it's a beautiful experience is what we're going after. So now we have this wonderful opportunity just to continue to be in the Lord's presence, opening our hearts to Him. And there are a variety of ways to respond to Him in these moments. The worship team is going to be leading in some songs of worship. So feel free to stand, to sit, to engage in singing. But if you want to remain seated for a while and just continue kind of in the, to the experience what you were, whatever the Lord was doing in that exercise, go for it. You can just remain seated. Just experience that. If you want to go back at any point and receive prayer, we have prayer team members at the prayer stations. Perhaps God's prompting you to take action of some sort. We have giving boxes around. Maybe it's God is saying he's just prompting you to respond to his gen- generosity, his grace towards you by giving a gift to him. As an act of worship. And one other way to respond to and experience the Lord's presence is through the Lord's Supper. It's because of Jesus' death on the cross that we can enter into God's presence and open our hearts to him. It's because the veil, the, the curtain was torn that we can enter into the Holy of Holies just the way we are. So I encourage you to do that. If you've placed your trust in Jesus or maybe you're placing your trust right now in these moments you're saying jesus i need you come live in me forgive my sin and come live in me if you're doing that or you've done that we invite you to partake you can during the next few minutes as the worship team's playing you can come to a table there are tables at the back and also the front Take a piece of bread, which represents Christ's body. and The juice represents Christ's blood for the forgiveness of sins, new life in him. And I just encourage you to experience him as you partake. You may want to just pause up here. You may want to stop and pray up here. You may want to take those back to your seat and pray, but let's just experience him in these moments. Just loving on Jesus. So Jesus, thank you for giving your body for us, for shedding your blood for us so that we could enter into the holy of holies, we could enter into your presence just the way we are. <laughs> and we can open our hearts to you no matter what we're feeling and experiencing, and, and we can welcome you into that place. And so I just want to pray for all the ways we're just going to be present to you and experience you in the next few minutes. Lord. This is just sacred space. We welcome you. We love you. We we, don't want to be, we want to be fully present here, right now, in this place, in this space.